Well, we're returning to a series we took a break from in November. I can tell you all about that in a minute, but I want to stop and just double down on this packed with love thing that we have coming up on the 19th of this month. I'm telling you, these signs over here are terrible. They, they fall over in the middle of worship services and they're all missing feet now because the feet fall off of them. But we go to great lengths to set these up week after week, uh, not because they're great decor, but because that is in fact the mission of this church. And we never want to lose sight of that. We want to be a place where people meet Jesus and walk them in deep relationship with Jesus to where they truly know Jesus and are filled with a life-giving relationship from Him. And, and then not just that. We don't want to just stay there. We want to be a church and a group of people who make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. Not just the whole world, but individuals' lives better and brighter in Jesus' name. That's what we're here for. And right now, in the world around us, we're here and thinking about lunch and what's next and all this stuff. But there are people in the nation of Haiti, which is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, who aren't thinking about lunch. They're thinking about where the next meal is going to come from in general. And in this packed with love event, we're going to fill this gym with these, these nutrition kits, and we're going to spend our morning in here worshiping God by packing for them food that they need so desperately. And in this town right now, there are women who are contemplating the biggest, scariest decision of their lives. And they, they often visit this crisis pregnancy center that we've partnered up with called Real Choices. And and we're going to build these care packages. Actually, our kids are going to build these care packages for these women that let them know, hey, we love you, we see you, God sees you, and you are not alone. And, and there's kids who are going to school tomorrow in this town who go to school cold. And when it rains, they go in the sweatshirt to try and stay warm, but the sweatshirt doesn't always keep them warm, and they need jackets and things like that. And their lives would, in fact, be better and brighter in Jesus' name if we would stop what we're doing and together look at them and say, you know what, if they're going through it, we're going to go through it with them. Their problems are our problems. We want to be there for them. And so that's exactly what we're doing with this Packed with Love event. And so, um, again, we raised funds for this last Christmas with our Christmas give, so it's all covered. Uh, but we do need you to register for it. We do need you to, to tell us you're coming because then we can plan all the amounts and the service projects and the people who are going to be wearing all that stuff. So in your app, um, you could sign up in there or uh, in the connection card, or if you got more questions about it, people at the info center out there can help you with everything you need. But this is something that we can't afford to miss, and it's just going to be this sweet time. Sorry, one more on this. Um, some of you have friends who you really want to help them know Jesus, but the idea of inviting your friend to church is just terrifying to them. And they might not come to a church, but they might come to a service project where you say, hey, do you want to help us feed some hungry people? And so there's a dual purpose there, and I pray you take advantage of that. Now, I'll keep going. We're in this series, Acts Masterclass, uh, Book of Acts Masterclass. And what I want you to know about momentum, if you're still new or warming up here, checking it out, um, when we do preaching and teaching, okay, so when we do this Bible study time together, we go back and forth between topical message series and experience expository message series, okay? So a topical message series is where you take on like a topic uh, for a whole sermon series or for a whole sermon, like, like when we did the help thing, we we're talking about marriage and finance and different parts and pieces of our lives. But an expository 
sermon series is where you take a book of the Bible and you just start working through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and let God's Word speak to you. So it's more of a Bible study, okay? And that's what we're going back to now. We started the book of Acts back in November. We worked through it for quite some time. We took a break for Pray First, then we did the Help series, and now we're returning to that. And so some really good tools that help you study the Bible. One, a Bible itself is always a good idea if you're doing Bible study. Uh, unfortunately, most of us have those on phones and everything now. Recommend you open it up. We're going to get back into Acts chapter 5 if you want to do that. Uh, note taking, taking pictures of notes on the screen is always a good idea. And here's the other cool thing. These, believe it or not, these little momentum journals are available every single week here at, at the church. And, and we actually loaded up some. If you want to start, you're like, I'm studying the Bible today, journey today. Uh, there's a bunch of them over there by Shivali at the back table back there. She can hook you up. I'm going to say a prayer right now before we study the Bible together, and I guarantee you God will not hold it against you if you use my prayer uh, as your little time to sneak over there and grab a journal so you can take notes in the Bible. So we're going to do that. Uh, <laughs> everyone close your eyes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and we'll dive in in just a sec. Let's pray. Uh, let's enjoy. God, we love you. I just pray that you meet with us as we open your word. We know it is full of power. We know it's full of possibility. Um, Father, there is just this huge gap between the wonder and the beauty and the life that is found in your word and my little human mouth and tiny abilities to communicate that wonder and power. Holy Spirit, I need you to come and fill that gap today. I need you to step into this space. If anything wonderful, beautiful, light, loving, or lovely is going to happen. So King Jesus, uh, may your spirit take over. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me do some review and get you all synced up, okay? So this book of Acts we're talking about was written by this guy named Luke. Luke wrote that book. He also wrote, if you've heard that before, Matthew, Mark, Luke. He wrote the book of Luke, which was a gospel, and it tells of everything that Jesus did. But then he continues to write in the book of Acts about everything Jesus continued to do through his Holy Spirit and through the church. And so we come back to this map from time to time when we're studying the book of Acts uh, to tell you that the book of Acts covers about 30 years of history that happened after the resurrection of Jesus. And it covers about 10,000 miles of gospel expansion. So we've, we're going to watch the gospel move through the streets of Jerusalem, to the surrounding areas in Judea, around the Mediterranean Rim, eventually to Rome, from Rome to Europe, from Europe across the seas. That gospel message has traveled from that little spot down there to our lives today. That's why sometimes when we do the book of Acts, we say this story is our story. And so the other main thing you need to know about Acts is the Holy Spirit is the main character of the book of Acts. Not Peter, not Paul, not John, the Holy Spirit is the main character of the book of Acts. And it is the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit moving the message of the gospel through the life of the church that we watch and we observe here. And as Kendall said so well during the communion, as believers, it is now the Holy Spirit that empowers us, that fills us, that fulfills us, that we relate to, that we're guided by. When, when we're guided by the presence of God, um, the most accurate way to describe that is to say that Jesus has placed his spirit in us and that spirit we call the Holy Spirit is now guiding us, shaping us, informing us. We're almost caught up, don't worry. We watched the Holy Spirit show up on this day about 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus called Pentecost. 
All of a sudden, Peter, the man who was once a coward, becomes very, very courageous. He preaches this sermon. 3,000 people are added to this first church. They start worshiping and celebrating in the temple court. So they still go to the old temple. But now there's this little section of it with this growing population of Christians in it. The news about Jesus is starting to echo through the streets of Jerusalem. The religious establishment, which is kind of like the government in that area, is starting to get nervous about the whole thing. But they can't deny the fact that people's lives are being changed and God is up to something, there's undeniable evidence that people are being healed. And so the perfect place to pick up the story is here in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, because this is about six months to a year after the resurrection of Jesus. And it's kind of this recap for us. And it says this, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And the believers used to meet together in Psalm's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord, that's Jesus, and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them in beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Okay, what's going on with this Peter shadow thing? Why do they want to be in a shadow? Why do they not want to be in shadow? Well, that's just an old Eastern tradition. It's almost like a, a figure of speech. You want to not let the shadow of a bad man pass over you, but you want the shadow of a good person to be cast over you. It's just like proximity language. It's like stay away from bad people. You want to be as close as you can to a good person. That's what's going on here. Did Peter's shadow heal people when it passed over them? We don't know, but what we do know is that tons and tons of lives are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. Something real is going down in the streets of Jerusalem. And at this time, this was no surprise to these apostles. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us either. We have our Bibles. If you were a note taker, if you got the little margin of your Bible, a great note to take would just be Isaiah 61. This would be a great text to go back and read later sometimes because Isaiah 61 talks about what you're going to see when the Holy Spirit of God is on a move. What do you see when the Holy Spirit is working in somebody's life? What do you see when the Holy Spirit is working through a church? What do you see when the Holy Spirit is out there doing something and says the brokenhearted are bound up Captives are set free, release from darkness for the prisoners happens, and the Lord's favor spreads. I'm telling you, for those of you who work in challenging work environments that are just draining to you from time to time, I would, I would write out the first couple paragraphs of Isaiah 61 and put it in the dashboard of your car. That thing will lift your life. And so all these people are being healed. All this stuff is happening. And then verse 17 through 18 say this. Then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. And we've already done the thing together where we talk about like, why do bad things happen to good people? And, and how your Christianity is not this immunity ticket from pain and suffering. We've done a lot of work on how adversity 
actually means you're on the right track and when you do big kingdom scary God things with your life, you can expect adversity and opposition. So I'm not going to even get into that one right now. I will tell you, if you're the kind of person who says, you know what, I'm spiritual, I love God, I'm not really sure about religion, then I'm just here to tell you, you are going to love Jesus Christ, okay? From his birth on, he has ruffled the feathers and upset the religious establishment. Man, his church does so to this day. People who follow Jesus do so to this day. Jesus is about as spiritual and anti-religion as you can get. That's why these guys get so upset. They arrest these apostles for what again? For healing people and preaching the name of Jesus. Verse 19, it says, during the night, so the apostles are in this jail cell. An angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life in your Bible. Highlight it, circle it, underline it. If I was a note taker, I like to write in my Bible. Trust me, that's okay. That's not a sin. I would just put an arrow going forward, pointing at all the rest of my pages in the Bible. Because when, when this little phrase right here, go and tell people all about this new life, it's foreshadowing. This is going to be what the apostles are doing in the rest of the book of Acts. And so this little telling people about the new life found in Jesus is going to be what you're going to watch Jesus, his spirit, and his church do through the rest of this message. And I want you to observe the way it says this new life, not this new religion, as if Jesus came to give us a set of steps we can follow to get closer to God. It doesn't say, not, it, it doesn't say go tell everybody about this new morality as if this faith we carry is just this new moral code and anybody who wants could just take this moral code and start believing it and obeying it and call themselves a Christian. It doesn't even say this new thinking. It says this new life, this new thinking. New thinking is a part of our faith, but man, it's just a part of our faith. What he's talking about here is the idea that when we are claimed by Christ and saved by Him, we become something brand new. It is the cry of 2 Corinthians when it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. As if to say Christian baptism is not like a software update that happens on your phone. Okay, Christian baptism is not like you get this like moral upgrade that happens to you. When you find Jesus and you experience new life in him, you are changed from the inside out. You become something completely different that is marked and sealed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is the cry of Romans 6.4 that says, We were therefore buried in him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. When you give your life to Jesus and are saved, you are made into something brand new. You undergo 
a spiritual metamorphosis. In the same way, a caterpillar is no longer a caterpillar when it comes out of that cocoon. It is now a butterfly. When you go in and out of the waters of baptism, you come out completely different spiritually. You come out as a member of God's family. You come out of baptism with a salvation that no one and no thing can take from you. When God looks at you, He literally sees the righteousness and perfection of Jesus. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. And there's nothing you can do to change that. But here's, here's the cool thing. And we did this last time in Acts, and you can't afford to miss this. This new life is a big, broad picture of salvation that is so much bigger and so much more broad than I trust in Jesus and go to heaven when I die. Some of you remember this drawing right here, right? The, the cross changes where I'm going. The new life in the Spirit changes who I'm becoming. The cross changes my destination when I die. But when I walk with the Spirit, He transforms my destiny. The cross is how I become a Christian. New life in the Spirit empowers me to be a Christian. The cross forgives my sin, but new life in the Spirit gives me power over my sin. The cross gets me into heaven. New life in the Spirit gets heaven into me. That's good news. Yeah, thank you. That's really good news. Because that means when I say yes to Jesus, and I receive Him, in the same way He did all the work to get me saved, He's going to keep doing work in me, never letting go of me until I make it to this end of this journey, this life that I'm living. Now, I was trying to get my 11-year-old to understand this the other day, and I told her a story from my life that just about broke her firstborn rule-following brain. I said, Lucy... I got a story I've never told you before. She's like, I'm listening. I said, my senior year of high school, I really, really needed to do well in math. Why'd you need to do well? Well, we had this thing called eligibility, and to keep playing the sports you like to play, you have to remain eligible. You have to make a certain grade level. On top of that, my dad would pay me, uh, I can't remember what it was, a certain amount of money. It was a lot of money at the time if I would get straight A's. and so. I, I backed into being a straight-A student, not because of my, my natural discipline, but because I was broke and I needed some cash. And so I said, Lucy, um, first, first, first quarter of my senior year, we are in Tom Thackrell's class. Love you, Mr. Thackrell, if you're out there. And, and my friend... Chad Olson was there. Sorry, I put him on blast. Sorry, Chad, but you're in this with me now. If I'm going down, you're going down with me. And Chad had to get this permission slip signed uh, after school so he could go off and do something. And he's going into the class, sees Mr. Thackrell running out after school to reuse the bathroom. He says, wait in the class for me. I'll be right back. I'll sign your thing. And then Chad's just sitting there by himself in the classroom. And he sees on Mr. Thackrell's desk the math test that we have coming up on Friday. And so 
like any young high school boy full of integrity and patriotism, he grabs a math test and slides it into his backpack while Mr. Thackrell leaves the room. Chad then tells me, hey Matt, good news, I got the math test. I said, cool, what do you want to do about it? He goes, come over to my house Thursday, the day before the test, we'll sit down, we'll work out all these problems, we'll know the answers to the test and we'll do well. I said, Chad, there's a problem with that. We have to show our work on the test. How about we bring some scratch paper, we do all of our work, and then we'll put that paper in our backpacks and we'll switch that paper out with the paper that Mr. Thackrell gives us to do our work on. And so we sit down with Chad Olson's Texas Instruments TI-89 graphing calculator because it shows you how to do all your work, but you know what I'm talking about with the TI-89, now we're there, okay? And, and at this point, Lucy's ready to call the authorities. She's like, this dad, like, she would bury me, okay? Like, it doesn't matter, family allegiance. She's like, my dad's a cheater. We got to do something about this. And I say, Lucy, we t sit there with the TI-89 calculator. We perfectly scribble out our work. We erase some of it sometimes and write it back down so it looks like we're really struggling through. You guys did not know I had this in me, did you? You're like, we got to find a new church immediately. So we scribble it, give it a little kind of crumple to make sure it looks good. We slide the papers into our bag. And sure enough, Mr. Thackrell hands us the test. It's the exact same test that we worked on at Chad Olson's house. We wait till he looks down. We slide the papers out with our work on them. We slide the blank pages back into our bag. We turn the whole thing in. I get an A on the test. No questions asked. Not a 90 or not a 100% because that's too suspicious. I, got, I settled in at a 94 just to keep everything right there. Days go by, nothing happens. A week goes by, nothing happens. Ten days go by, something started to happen, not external but internal. And so, 11 days later, after I had gotten away scot-free, I waited till after school. I walked into Mr. Thackrell's classroom. I told him, you know that test we had? I cheated on it. He was like, are you sure? I said, yes. Because you know, if you're telling me this right now, you get a zero. There's no retakes. I said, yes, absolutely. I cheated on the test. It was the wrong thing to do, and I'm sorry. And I told Lucy, oh, junior year, we're not walking back in there. Junior year, Matt, is walking home, thanking the good Lord for his A, and is going to find out more ways to cheat in the future. What happened was, the summer between my junior year and senior year, I had an encounter with Jesus. He wrecked everything about my life. He saved me from the mess I had created for myself. I was filled with his Holy Spirit and a new life was being born in me. That's the new life we're talking about. So we go back to our story. If you recall that this team of apostles was placed in jail and this 
angel comes and breaks him out and it says and tells him to go tell everybody right where they were before about the new life that's found in Jesus. Verse 21, it says at daybreak they entered the temple courts as they had been told. They began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin with the full assembly of the elders of Israel. And that's just like three sentences in our Bible or just a few words. That means they're sending messages out to the corners of the known world to bring in every Jewish scholar and a religious official to try and end this Jesus movement once and for all. It says um, they gather together, everybody together, and, and then they send to the jail for the apostles, but on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. They went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss and they were wondering what this might lead to, which is why this little passage is on the list of things I'm going to watch the video of when I get to heaven, okay? This is on my Netflix queue. I want to watch how this went down because I'm not positive on this. This isn't God's word, so don't quote this to any of your friends. But you know I'm the chosen that kind of fill in the blanks and there's some funny moments that happen in the life of Jesus? I'm willing to bet, okay? I've studied the lives of these goofballs we call the apostles for a long time now. And in my mental picture, when I play this movie, this angel breaks them in out of the jail. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're an angel and you're breaking us out of jail. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, shh, come this way. And they file out of this little prison cell, like single file. And then Peter's at the end and he's like, John, watch. They're all going. He's like, John, watch this. And he's locking the jail up behind him. He's like, they're going to have no idea how we did this. And they go walking. Okay, that's the Matt Allman, like mental picture version of this. That's not in there, but I'm watching this one day. Verse 25, it says, then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the, the people. At that, the, camp, or the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to preach in this name, he said. Yet you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Isn't it interesting how this group of Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious leaders, the who's who, maybe once adored God with all their heart and soul. Uh, some of these religious leaders had been educated for 25 years to fulfill these seats. Some of them had the entire Old Testament memorized, word for word. Some of them did so by the time they were 14 years old. And self-preservation has caused them, caused them to take their hearts and their eyes off of the things of God. If you ever needed a lesson in the destruction of self-preservation, you've got it right here. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, Hey, we must obey God rather than human beings. 
The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Who you killed by hanging him on a cross? God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey Him. And this little section of Scripture is exactly why we move back and forth between topical study and exegetical study. This is not three tips for a better marriage or seven practices of Christians in the workplace. But this is some incredible Christology. Christology, Christology, Jesus thought. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus did not come to offer life hacks, but rather to take his proper place as king of our lives. I'm all for the practical stuff in Scripture, but never get it twisted. Never come to believe that this is this story full of tips and practices to make an easier life. Will it make your life better? Yes. Will it make you better at life? Yes. But first and foremost, this is a story about the love of Jesus. And it will go on to explain the greatest thing you could do for your life is to give your life to Him. I'll tell you what, this passage, if you just want to come alive in Scripture, I bet you could sit with this passage and just give it two minutes every morning, read it slowly, absorb that truth. We obey God and not man. They put Jesus on a cross. God raised Him from the dead. He is now Prince of Heaven and Savior of humanity. And our job is to repent and put Him in the proper place in our lives. Well, that'll change you this week if you let it. So hold, hold this. I'm going to pause. Because if we go much further, I, 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 I can't go much further until we remedy this, this problem we have in this text. This is one of those texts we often read and go, Matt, that's, that's cool. I see that happening here, but I don't see that happening here. I mean, if give, give me half of this, okay? Give me like one healing, I'm in. That would strengthen my faith. That would make this thing more exciting. I, I would, dude, show me some people be healed. Watch an angel break me out of jail. I'm running to church every morning. I'm early. I'm here for it. I'm, you can count on me. If I saw more of that happening in my life, this thing would be so much easier to walk out in the other days of my life. If I just got a little bit of this, how come there's this dissidence? How come that's in the Bible, but I don't see it today. And if I did, man, this would be a lot easier. Let's sit on that for a minute. Here you go. The adventure was found in who the apostles were following and who they were seeking to glorify. Why all the miracles, why all the stuff, why all the happenings, why all the events, and what did we see here? Where did it all come from? It's found in who these disciples were following 
and who they were seeking to glorify. These apostles had come to this place where they chose to prioritize listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and following the activity of God above every other thing in their lives. Uh, rest assured, like go back, go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and you will rest assured that these were not sharp guys. These, these are not the highest, most upwardly mobile people in Palestine in this day. They were average. The, the book of Acts, just a chapter before this, says they were unschooled, ordinary men. They oozed ordinary and they were unschooled. <laughs> the word for unschooled in the Greek is idiotes. Does that sound like anything you've heard before, okay? They're unschooled. They're idiots. They're average. But the Holy Spirit put the extra in their ordinary. Their lives were marked by the supernatural presence of God because they were willing to follow the Spirit. Can I tell you something? If you find yourself bored, if you find yourself stuck in a routine, if you feel like you're in a job that's dead end and things aren't happening the way you want them to happen, let me tell you what to do. Get serious about following the Holy Spirit and He will put the extra in your ordinary. Get serious. Take that job of yours and stop doing it for a paycheck. Open up your eyes and go, God, is there some reason you've put me in this place? What do you need me to do? Who do you need me to talk to? What do you need me to learn? Who do you need me to help? Go into it with that perspective and I promise you your life will be anything but ordinary. Take your routine, that grind of wake up, clean up, go here, move there, take the kids, drop them off, pick them up, eat dinner, 9.30, fall asleep, do it over again. Take that routine, zoom out for a minute and go, Holy Spirit, can you open my eyes to what you're doing in this thing? Your life will be far from ordinary. And it's also in who these apostles were seeking to glorify. They had traded in the pursuit of self for an ambition and a desire for the glory of God. And the outcome was the adventure of a lifetime. Let me tell you something. If you want to punch your ticket to mediocrity and boredom as fast as you can, build a life that's all about you. Follow the flow of culture that says it's about acquiring this, moving here, having that, feeling this way, and going there when you want to. And oh, I can promise you, I can promise you, you're going to get bored in a hurry. Pastor Mike Bro once explained, when you build a life on self, you develop a case of the same olds. 
You know, how do you know you have the same old? Well, here's the symptoms. You wake up in the same old bed. You do the same old routine. You go to the same old job. You wait for the same old week in a roll around so you can go the same old places, so you can drink the same old drinks, so you can save up for the same old vacation, so you can go back and sleep in the same old bed. You can lean over and ask your wife the same old question. Over and over, you get the same old answer. You repeat the same old process week after week, year after year, until your same old life comes to an end. And I'm just telling you, if you want a cure for the same olds and the meaninglessness and the depression that so often accompanies them, then you live your life for the glory of God and not yourself. You take an inventory of everything that God has blessed you with, your skills, career, time, money, gifts, hobbies, relationships, your home, your cars, your family, your plans, and your future, and you lay it before God and go, this doesn't even belong to me. It belongs to you. And so long as I got something to do about it, Lord, I got all this stuff I want to offer you, and I want to use it for your glory, Holy Spirit, can you come reign on this and grow something beautiful? I can assure you, your life will be anything but same old and ordinary. And okay, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but I'm not trying to beat up anybody today. I'm all for routine. Routine's good. You got places to go. Somebody's got to make dinner, okay? I'm with you. But so many Jesus followers have asked me the same exact question. Matt, how come this stuff doesn't happen for me? How come I'm not seeing the Holy Spirit do big things or even average things in my life? And over and over and over, I want to respond by asking like, what are you even doing that needs the Holy Spirit for help? What three items on your list of big goals have nothing to do with you? Who are the people you're trying to feed who are hungry? Who are the children you're trying to tutor? Who are the people you're trying to disciple? Do you look at work as this place you've been put for a paycheck or as a mission given to you by God and that's your little space on earth to make better and brighter? Who are the people uh, and you're praying with all you've got that they would come to know Jesus in a way that saves their soul? And so often there's that promise Jesus made. Hey, do, ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you. The problem, the problem is, so many of the things we're asking for have nothing to do with His name. I'm like, what if you changed that? Do you guys know about D.L. Moody? Moody, uh, you may know from this uh, famous Bible Institute that's in Chicago. One of the largest American missionary movements flowed from a church that he started. Moody grew up in the mid-1800s, he was number seven of nine children. His father passed away while he was still just a few years old. And as soon as he could walk himself to a job, his mother had him go work this job 
where he would just be fed a meal for the day. So it was an even trade. He would walk, he would work, he would get enough food to live the next day and come home. And his mom was there to raise all these kids by themselves. And this one thing that she would say she did right was she always kept them in Sunday school. And Moody had this Sunday school teacher who sat with him over and over and over again and would repeat to him, you have no idea how much God loves you. You have no idea how much God loves you. You have no idea how much God loves you. And one day it got him. And he decides the only thing he could ever want to do with his life is help people understand there's no, they have no idea how much God loves them. So right after the Civil War, he moves to Chicago. He starts this church. This church is insane. Huge missionary movement. Literally hundreds of thousands of people come to know Jesus because of this kid who had no formal education. Here, here's the coolest thing about Moody. Moody was known for this list that he kept in his pocket at all times. And the list was 100 names of people he knew who didn't know Jesus and who would pray for them by name that they would come to be saved. Well, by the end of Moody's life, 96 of those people came to put their faith in Christ. And at his funeral, one of his good friends preaches his eulogy and shares the gospel with all who are in attendance to come and pay their last to Moody. Well, wouldn't you know it, independent of one another, the last four names on his list came to his funeral. They sit in completely different places and they didn't even know one another. And by the time the funeral was done, all four accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You could be a D.L. Moody. Who says you can't? Who's told you or me or the church in this country that we could not pray with the same passion for the salvation of the people we know who don't know Jesus yet? Why did God move like that through Moody's prayer list? My guess is it, had, it was because it had nothing to do with Moody and everything to do with Jesus. Last is this. The angel breaks the apostles out of jail and sends them back to the very place where they were first arrested. And they do it. If I'm on the team that day, I'm like, guys, hang on, hang on. We hear you. Thank you for the whole prison thing. 
But I think it made more sense for us to like get out of town, do a retreat. I need a bath for crying out loud. We've been in your jail this whole time. Let's go, hey, let's go back to the upper room where the Holy Spirit came. And we'll roll out a big piece of paper, get some whiteboards on the walls. We'll re-strategize this thing. And we'll come up with some new ways to stay out of jail and we're telling people about Jesus. That's not what they do. They listen, they obey, they go back to where they were arrested to the same exact place where they're picked up by the police and share the name of Jesus and tell the world about the new life that's found in him. Why? Here's why. They realized they had been saved to save others. They were not claimed by Jesus Christ so they could go to church services and wait to get to heaven. They had been claimed by Christ so they could go and save others. They had been blessed so they could be a blessing. And I'll tell you guys something. I may not have an angel who broke me out of jail and tells me that it's my job to go and preach and help people who are far from God, but I have Matthew 5 that says, you are the salt and you are the light and go and make the world better and brighter in his name. I have Jesus telling me, hey, the same mission God gave me, I'm giving you. God told me to tell the world about his love and now it's your turn, Christian. I may not have the angel instructing me on what to do next, but I do have Matthew 25 that tells me what I do for the least of people on earth, I am doing for Jesus Christ himself and I am not saved to sit. I am not called to be a yacht club Christian. Band, you guys can come up. I'll give you one last story. In early America, right around Moody's time, as a matter of fact, as tons of Europeans were heading to the new world for new opportunities and new freedoms and new things, they quickly discovered going across the Atlantic back then was a very risky endeavor. And there were lots and lots of ships that would make it the majority of the way to the United States, but then either run out of gas, hit some stormy waters, they wouldn't know where to go or what to do, and in weariness they would make some mistakes. And being so close to the coast of this new life and new world, these ships would go under. Families would lose all their possessions, or even worse, they'd lose their lives. And so this group of people, New England, decided to form these things called rescue societies. And a rescue society were these groups of people who had made the journey felt compassion for those who were doing the same. And when storms came and they knew a ship was coming in, they would ride into the storm to go and save people from a potential accident. These rescue societies end up saving hundreds and hundreds of people from certain doom at the bottom of the ocean. Then the craziest thing happens. These folks who had been saved by the rescue society, the society brings them in, it gives them warm blankets and warm food and, and all kinds of stuff they need to survive. Well, they're so impacted by the way their lives had been changed, they end up joining the rescue society themselves. Like, 
I can't just experience this and I go back into the storm for somebody who's going through it the same way I was. And sure enough, that happens. And so they'd have these dinners and, and they'd be up in New England just drinking ales and sharing stories of rescues and eating food. And, and sure enough, there's this explosion of purpose and meaning and adventure and connection because of these rescue societies. And they save tons of people and all this stuff happens. And then wouldn't you know it? Do you know what happens? Slowly but surely, people started getting comfortable. And they're like, you know what? Like, I love the dinners, I love the drinks, I love the stories. Heck, I'll even pay some dues to keep showing up. But going out there to like rescue, ah, it's kind of risky. It's kind of uncomfortable. And they took those rescue societies and turned them into yacht clubs. You guys, the church is supposed to be a rescue society, not a yacht club. Why stop nice Sunday morning worship services and, and do this packed with love thing and feed people and teach kids and help and reach out and stop what we're doing? Because we're a rescue society. And there are people in need of rescue. Why do we stop and beat this drum over and over and over and over? Hey, God's given you a part of the world and it's your job to make it better and brighter. In Jesus' name, it's like, Matt, I get it. Okay, why do you keep talking about it? Why? Because we're a rescue society. And we can never forget that. So we're going to keep doing those things. And as we wrap, I'll tell you, you want purpose, you want meaning, you want adventure. You take this little 70, 80 year window that we call your life. You hand it to Jesus and you say, I want this to be yours. That's where it happens, guys. That's what you were made for. Would you guys stand? I'm gonna pray and we'll sing one song together. God, we just come to you today asking that you would move. We ask that you would take our lives, our fears, our shortcomings, our inadequacies, and you would receive them as an offering to you. God, we ask that you would lead us into lives marked by purpose and adventure, quiet moments with you where we're filled and we're led into the lives of other people who need you so badly. We thank you for the new life we've been given in Jesus and we worship you today because of him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.